Welcome to the 30 to Life podcast, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. It's your boy, Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. And welcome back to another episode of the 30 to Life podcast, where we redefine the Black experience. And I just want to thank the listeners for supporting us along the way. Uh, we're approaching uh almost two years of doing the podcast soon so uh really just want to shout you out for all the support growth i mean the reviews the likes everything so we really appreciate it uh but we got a, a special guest on the episode for today and before i do that gotta check in what's your favorite color in the world brown what's going on brown how you living i'm living good out here in these streets um you know work is work school is school I gotta be the king right now, you know. I'm, I'm yeah. raising, I'm raising kings and queens, so I gotta be a king. Any motivational quotes or anything you got for the people listening right now? Um, nah, but I just got some advice. Meditate. Uh, advice. Meditate, Meditate twice, twice a day. Twice a day. For how long? Every day. Uh, Fifteen start minutes. Off, start off for ten minutes, and then you know, just graduate. All right, guys. Self care. Meditate. Uh, pray. Uh, sleep. Take a nap. I don't know during the day. Whatever you gotta do to get you uh into your best uh state of mind, but. Speaking of state of mind, mm-hmm. talking about progress, mm-hmm. talking about overcoming adversity and just changing the landscape of the youth today, mm-hmm. we have a phenomenal guest by the name of Zelly Thomas. Uh, he is a Patterson, New Jersey teacher, entrepreneur, uh, Black Lives Matter organizer, and winner of the Dr. Martin Luther King Human and Civil Rights Award for Advocacy for Social Justice. Uh, thanks for coming on, Zelly. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm real excited to be here today. Yeah, so you've done a lot of things in, you know, a short amount of time, um, you know, impacted the classroom, uh, in the classroom and beyond the classroom. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself for the listeners? Yeah, so, um, again, my name is Zelly Thomas. Some people may know me as Zelly Imani. If they follow me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, um, I'm an educator. Um, I'm a brother. I'm a son. But most important to me, it's like I'm a black man living in America, and uh, I'm trying to change the world for the better. I know you're very passionate about politics. You, you tweet about it a lot. And I guess my first question is, you know, what do you think about this current political party right now? They, they was happy to get Trump out. So what, 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 what's, what's your opinion? <laughs> well, like my, my opinion is I'm not for either of the parties. You know, that's okay. my personal opinion. I'm not, uh, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. Um, mm-hmm. When the, the race was starting, right, back, um, you know, January or whatever, I was heavy, heavy, heavy on the internet, heavily scrutinizing all candidates because I didn't want to put my allegiance to anybody. I didn't want no Black person to put their allegiance into anyone. I didn't want any candidate to believe that they had that Black vote, you know, that it was a sure thing for them, mm. especially if we didn't have no agenda. Right, that they just can't think that they can just walk into the office and not do the things that was necessary for us to survive and thrive. And I wasn't seeing that from um, none of those candidates, and I'm still not seeing it from the man that's in office right now. And I think that what's going to have to change eventually is for us as a people and us as a community to wise up and just not vote for someone just because our grandparents voted that party for years. You have to vote for someone that is going to truly benefit us and who is not afraid to say, you know, how they're going to benefit us. May I ask, you know, if, you know, if you want to share who you voted for or did you vote at all? 
you know that's a that's a question i for, i honestly forgot you know i honestly forgot i probably did uh vote for joe biden uh-huh. uh when it was him versus trump and i'm not sure who i voted for for the uh you okay. know the the primaries I, I i forget honestly so in order to evoke changes you know yeah. in america we have to obviously you know get the right political people in there that actually will fight for or want to serve underserved communities. So I guess, and I know you aren't really for both parties. So like, how do you see this resolving for us? Yeah. See, I think that's where a lot of people, um, especially in our community get caught up in, right? They Mm. think that change only happens every four years, right? And that's the only way that change can happen when that's not the fact. And that's the way that these politicians can play on us. That the only way they're going to come to our communities is when it's time for them to campaign. Otherwise, you never hear from them. You never see them. They never knock on your doors until it's time for them to vote for you. And then they'll give you all these empty promises, right? And you think that that's your only time for your voice to be heard by voting in that poll booth. But that's not your only time to be heard. Like there's other ways for your voice to be heard, whether it's through protest, whether it's through advocacy. And I think that's the main, main thing that was able to change things this election cycle. Before, when Hillary Clinton was running, nobody, nobody except Bernie Sanders was talking about canceling student debt. Nobody was talking about free college tuition. It really took thousands and thousands of college students protesting on their college's campuses, you know, locking themselves up in the bursar's office, having these discussions every day on Twitter, talking about cancel debt, cancel debt, cancel debt that this time around when the candidates were running, almost all the Democratic Party was talking about canceling student debt, right? All of them was talking about uh, free college tuition. Some of them was even talking about reparations, right? Because we was talking about these things so much, they realized that, oh, we can't even try to ask for these people's vote if we're not talking about the same thing they're talking about. It's all about shifting the culture and realizing your power. That your voice, especially on Twitter and Instagram and social media, is power. They're listening. And um, we need to realize that and tap into that. So so one thing I want to talk about is like group group economics. Um, you know, one of the things that we see in like other cultures is that, you know, they use their their dollars to get candidates to uh, do things for them. Right. Um, and hold them accountable when they're in office. Um, but I know for us, you know, a lot of times we just give our vote without them, you know, uh, doing anything behind the messaging that they're, you know, so much that they're soliciting. So, um, can you talk a little bit about group economics and how like our people can come together to, uh, have a stronger presence when it comes to, uh, moving, uh, legislation and any type of material change? Yeah, I think that the first key step when we're talking about group economics is talking about this key word called solidarity and mutual aid, and especially about trust. We have to build trust with one another, and we have to be able to recognize that we will be able to win when we all collectively win. Unfortunately, a lot of times in our community, everybody wants to be the leader, right? Everybody wants to be the the face. Everyone wants to be that politician that's going to uh, save us. In your community, you have to think about it. I know in my community is that whenever there's a mayor running, there's like five or six black people running for mayor, you know? Whereas there may be like one Spanish person, one Arab person, or one Bengali, you know, it's like 
they all the community say, all right, we're going to support this one person from our community. Whereas for us, we are splitting our vote amongst each other and we end up always losing because that one person always wants to be the head of it and not realizing, you know what, let me support this other person who has great ideas and get them into office because it's going to benefit us all. We think too individualistic sometimes, you know, when you talk about that cooperative economics, the key word is cooperative. We need to get rid of the idea of me, me, me and individualism. So do you think that we need a Marcus Garvey-like movement today? I think about that a lot. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but I also am someone who's on social media a lot. And you see how fast people tear people down or not trust no one. Yeah. And it's like, I can imagine if some dude, Marcus Garvey from this generation, was talking about, yeah, you know, donate to me like a million dollars and I'm going to, you know, buy all this type of stuff for the community. Like no one is going to, to invest or trust it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not going to directly impact them, right? Mm -hmm. Say they give like a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars. Many people for us, because we don't think this way, we're going to think that, well, if I invested a thousand dollars into it, like what am I going to get? Well, you know what? You may not directly get nothing from that but the community is going to benefit. And that's going to be the key part that if we invest in that, maybe we won't benefit directly, but maybe our grandchildren may benefit. Maybe our children from, can benefit. And that's the type of steps that we have to think about. Those are steps that white people thought about when they enslaved us, right? They realized that if this was going to benefit not just them, but it's going to benefit their children, their grandchildren, and the whole lineage. We got to start thinking like, how is this not just only going to benefit me now, but it's going to benefit my kids and my grandchildren. Right. So, so, so when, when do you actually think it started to break down? Right. Because, you know, Marcus Garvey, you know, there was, you know, hundreds of thousands of black people who were, you know, yeah. giving money towards them. But yeah. today it's so hard. Like where did that breakdown happen? When did that breakdown happen? I really think that the breakdown happened uh, with the crack epidemic. Mm because we, don't, we shouldn't stop at Marcus Garvey. We have to realize that we had these mutual aid societies even during the, um, the civil rights era. That when we think about the Montgomery bus boycott, remember these folks, it was losing their jobs, right? Because they, they was not gonna um, take that bus. Like they was working as nannies, they was working as cooks and white people, they was firing them. So they didn't have no money to support themselves. But people from the North, was sending people in Birmingham, Alabama money, right? That uh, they wasn't taken on the bus, so black people had to tax each other, each other, you know, all around. When you think about the Black Panther Party, it was feeding hundreds of thousands of kids breakfast. How is that money being raised? Because us as a community was raising it for each other. But what happened was this whole legacy, this whole history was destroyed in like the 80s and 90s. When you talk to your kids, none of them will say they know anything about the Black Panther Party. None of them would be able to talk about, you know, anything about the civil rights movement besides, you know, Martin Luther King saying a speech and maybe Rosa Parks. And they don't know nothing about Malcolm X, right? They don't know nothing about Marcus Garvey. They took away our history. They took away a lot of our culture. And then they gave us guns. They gave us drugs. And these are the things that broke down our, our our family structure, and it broke down who we are as a community. 
but it's going to be up to this generation to teach our kids and teach ourselves so that we can go forward. You mentioned they enslaved us, and and yeah. there's a lot of uh, a talk now, and not not can't say now, but I think it's becoming more popularized that mm. that we were already here before mm. they enslaved us. So like, if that's the case, that changes the entire game, and and I think that you know. I think that that's the reason why <laughs> that these narratives were suppressed for so long, because if if everyone finds out that we're actually a lot of us were natives to America mm, before, mm, 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 then that means that we're technically we get all the, the tax breaks that Native Americans get now. And I think that would change the entire game like that, that that would collapse their entire system, which is the mm. reason why they're suppressed. Right. It so right. Long. so do you believe that we were here before they enslaved us? I don't know. I believe that we were all here, but I definitely believe that we was here before they enslaved us. And this is not me saying I believe it because, you know, I have this, you know, because I'm pro-Black, mm-hmm. but this is like from diaries of explorers, right? Right, right? And you read their diaries, they talk about how, like, like, the people that they are encountering had like dark skin on their, on their black. And they was thinking like, wait, like how are African people here? You know, right. like it was confused. So we don't, I think also we have to remember that uh, people from Europe, they knew who black people were, right? Because they had a long history with um, wars mm-hmm. in Africa. Mm-hmm. So they, they already knew who black people were. So when they came to, you know, the Americas and they seen people, they was like, what the fuck are they doing here? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So and you can see these type of things in their diary. So we was definitely here uh, for a long, long time. I just and, wonder um, how they beat us, yo. Like, and I, I know I shouldn't look at it as them beating us, but like they got the up, like they created a whole functional system <laughs> that 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 took everything away from us. Because and, our, our our the way that our relationship to land is completely different than their relationship to land. Mm. Okay. Okay. Like we had no sense of ownership of land. You know what I mean? Like I farmed here, but it didn't belong to me. You know, Dang, like this is, I never this thought not, about this that. is not mine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when they was trying to, it was really tricking the Native Americans, like, hey, we'll give you, you know, this amount of money if you, you know, give us this land. And right. Native Americans are like, <laughs> all right, sure, I'll take it because they're thinking jokes on them. This land don't belong to nobody. Not realizing. <laughs> that to them, me. This is mine now. To, this is mine now. Like, you're going to be gone, you know? And they was thinking, like, this land belongs to all of us, you know? And that's the indigenous mind frame that this land and this earth belongs to all of us. So that's right how land, they did it. It's like, nah, this, this land belongs, belongs to me now. You know, because I just have this piece of paper called deed, and this deed that I wrote in my own language says that this land belongs to me, and you have to to leave this place. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I heard this comedian say that we were here eighteen thousand years before the evolution of the the, the Caucasian race, and I have race mm. in quotation because I don't mm. believe in the concept of race, but. Yeah. And if we had an eighteen thousand year advantage, how did mm-hmm. yo? How did we ever lose? Like, oh, <laughs> like that's oh, that's the stuff I'd be thinking about on the train rides to work and stuff. But yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> it makes you want to like wish you had like a time machine, right? Exactly. <laughs>
Yeah. So, so, so just to uh, dig deeper in that, um, you know, follow what Brown's talking about. uh, Do you think reparations uh, Mm. will ever uh, Mm. become a reality in some uh, way? (laughs) You know what? I kind of do think that it's going to, it can be a reality. I wish it was reality. (laughs) Fighting for it to be reality. But the, the hard thing, right, is that white people are on this, you know, what about me, you know, face, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that if we say like, hey, we're going to give this to, to black people specifically, they're going to say it's unfair. What about me? Mm-hmm. It wasn't saying that when it came to segregation or slavery, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things that's going to benefit, you know, specific people, specific black people, then it's an issue. When things are benefiting white people, it's never an issue, Right. But when it's benefiting black people or it can help black people, then it becomes an issue. And we we encountered this issue when it came to this canceling student debt, right? Mm-hmm. When we start first started organizing, our ask was initially free college tuition for black and indigenous students, canceling student debt for black and indigenous students. That was it. But white people was like, that's unfair. What about us? And it's like, all right okay, this is poor white people too. So we had to expand that, you know, uh, demand to make it for all, you know, people. But I do think that canceling student debt and free college tuition can be a form of reparations because of the historical denial of black people into college, Mm. right? Like, Will, you know this as like an alpha, right? Mm. Like, did you ever like like read your history book sometime? And you're like, wait a second. It was only 10 black people in college, mm-hmm. like in college in general. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. You kind of think about that to yourself. Like, yo, it was only like five or six black people yeah. in this whole yeah. campus. And it wasn't just because it was six black people who wanted to go to college. It was probably only the six black people that they admitted to. So mm-hmm. how many people was denied? And if those many people were denied, that means so many people were denied access to generating wealth for themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially so got, in that time, yeah. like college was elite, right? You had that, you write your ticket. Yeah. Now it's diluted, but, you know, education was always important, right? It was always important. And it was something that, you know, our ancestors sacrificed so that their children could go to school. And they came with so much adversity to try to get in through it. And that's why, you know, historically, uh, Black colleges, universities was, was so important. Mm. So we mentioned earlier that, you know, what we need is to, you know, to unite. Like, what do you think it would really take for us to unite? Yeah, because I, I mean, I think so many people have tried. Like, I really think Marcus Garvey had something going there. Like, I, I mm-hmm. mean, I, I know it definitely, you know, there was there was it wasn't perfect, but I think he had something going there because he went for ownership in some sense, like he went for ownership, black ownership. Um, I think the Black Panthers in its original form had this that same type of type right. of deal. And and I think they had something going there. And it's like you, you mentioned that, you know, the white people are saying, like, what about us? But like we've been saying, what about us for forever? <laughs> like, yeah. and we like, and so it's just, yeah, it's just it's it's frustrating. And you know, I, and I would love for my children to not have to ever experience that like I like I would love for them to you know 
not ever experienced racism, but do you ever, or do you feel that racism will ever decease in America? I don't see it in my lifetime. Yeah. And um, when I think about racism, a lot of times people think about racism as like the thoughts of white people's heads. Like I, I don't care what white people are thinking, right? I care more so about what will you do with those thoughts, right? Are you gonna injure me because you have those thoughts? Are you gonna kill me because you have those thoughts? Are you gonna deny me a job because you have those thoughts? Are you gonna deny me a loan because you have those thoughts? I could care less if you just think that I'm ugly or my mm. nose is ugly or my hair is nappy. I don't care about that. But if you use those thoughts to say like, nah, I'm not gonna hire him, then that's what I have an issue with. So, you know, maybe white people will always think black people are ugly. You know what? I don't care. We may be not be able to change that. But what I want to change is stopping people from uh, doing anything because of those beliefs. And I think that I think that is possible, you know, but we have to have power. We have to have power and power scares them. And that's why they took down, you know, the Black Panther Party. That's why they shipped Marcus Garvey back to Jamaica because they are scared of power. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like they even so scared of the 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 fantasy of it. Like, mm. like I think of I think of uh, of what's that show? Um, Lovecraft. I think of Lovecraft and how they wouldn't mm. let, they wouldn't they wouldn't let the second <laughs> season out because right. of the sheer thought that black people would start their own <laughs> area, like their own, basically have their own land. Like mm. the thought, the fantasy of it is scary. Right, and, and the fact that that was such an educational piece for so many people, for black people, it was like, wait, that was real? Like black people was learning history by watching that show and being inspired by that. And it's like, they had to put a pause in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about the land ownership, right? There's a, mm. a tons of places in this country, right? Where it is dirt, dirt cheap to buy land. You could buy, you know, hundred acres for, you know, less than a million dollars probably in some of these rural areas. Um, I think that's, I think it's something that, you know, you need the right person to start it. Right. I do. And to build, I mean, you can build a city, right? You yeah. could build a city, um, it's lower cost in those areas and stuff like that. Uh, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, it was was it Silk City, Silk yes, City yes, in itself. Yes, yes, um, yes. He tried to start it under was it uh, the uh, one of the, the president? Yeah, yeah. But he was attempting to build Chocolate mm. City. Mm. Um, no, it was Silk City. Silk City. Sorry, yeah. Silk City. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't. He was having trouble with fund. He, he got didn't funding. Get the funding for it. Yeah, but he got some of the funding and. Yeah, he it was it was one person who started it post uh, Black Wall Street. Um, yeah, let me look him up. But I wanted to. I was thinking about that. And I'm, I was curious, like, why no other black person? Exactly, like a tried. Black Wall Street. Like we, like I, like, and I, and I don't. I mean, it, this it, it could be one of us. Like it, it could just be the person that you know. <laughs> like, right, like, right, right. But I, I, and I, and I don't know if that person will ever exist because maybe it could. It should be a collective of us. But in any sense, you know. We, I believe that we have the means today, like in this very moment, with the technology we have today, we think of blockchain technology, like mm. we can do a, an initial coin offering to raise money to build mm -hmm. a city <laughs> of our own. And, 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 and I think that in this day and age, it'll be so much harder for them to stop us because they can't, they can't just 
bomb it like they used to bomb it now because it would be it would be showcased to the world so like i we, I, we are in a and honestly a, a very unique situation and if we could just finally just get it to that point where we can just put pool our money together i think that's the beginning right there that's the beginning of it and for many people that's where it ends mm. right it ends at that thought and you got to mm. think about most of people's dreams. Like they daydream about something. They may have a great idea and that great idea, other people may really love, but they don't even share that idea with anyone. Right. 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 So that idea, you know, dies in their head and it could have been something that came a reality, but people for whatever reason, maybe is, maybe don't know the, they don't have the skills, maybe don't have the experience, maybe don't have the, the drive or the time or the capacity, whatever yeah. reason, but, they don't put all those pieces together, right? right? And I think it's gonna take someone to be like, you know what, I got this idea, I'm gonna research it, I'm gonna start putting these pieces together. Right. You know, because for many people, it just dies at the idea. Like we, we all fantasize about, you know, like a black Wall Street or a black utopia, yeah. you know, but who <laughs> yes. is gonna take those steps to like, all right, this is y'all, this is how we do it, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is possible. I mean, I think it is of, possible. What, what's what's that? What's that? Uh, what's that rapper? A lock guy locked up. What's his name? Akon. Akon. Like yeah, he's Akon building Akon his Akon like city. His, yeah, his future. Like come on, like isn't that That's phenomenal? It's amazing. amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. So I wanted to um kind of talk about more of your story, right? Yeah. Um, you know how you got started, you know, and with Black Lives Matter, you know when you were. When you receive your award, like how did you start, you know, getting involved? Um, I get asked this question a lot about like how did I get started in um activism or how I become a fighter, uh, or when did I become a fighter? And I, I became a I was a fighter ever since I was in the womb, you know. I've been a, a fighter um ever since I took my first breath out of the womb because I was fighting against white supremacy, because white supremacy was all around me. It's a system that was designed to lock me up or designed for me to fail or designed for me to die. So every breath that I take as a black person living in America was fighting, was my, my form of activism and my liberation that I was fighting for. Um, but when I think about my parents, my parents are the people who really instilled um, my pro-black attitude who taught me black history and taught me black culture. I remember, you know, coming home from school and my parents saying, hey, we left you like a present on, on your bed. And me running up the stairs thinking it's gonna be a video game. And it's like a, a book, a black history book, you know, the conspiracy destroyed black boys. And I'm like 10 years old, like what? Like, what is this? Like, I want a video game, not like a book talking about a conspiracy destroyed black boys. But when I read it, it's like, I understood the challenges that I was gonna face uh, growing up. So all of those things was preparing me uh, for the life that I was going to one day take. Obviously, you know, I you know, got off track sometimes, but I always found my home in activism and helping my community because that's what gave me um, a sense of pleasure and gave me a sense of joy. Yeah, that's 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 dope. And I'm, I was gonna say, like, to answer Mookie's question, I was gonna answer it for you. Like, I, as long as I've known you, you've been you've been like that. 
one of one of the most the fondest memories I've, I have of you is we I don't know why we were talking. We were talking about religion and I was I was super Christian back then. Yes, you was. Yeah. <laughs> I was super. I, I was like, nah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and then I, I think you told me your parents, somebody was Muslim and somebody mm-hmm. was was yeah. Catholic or oh, Christian. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I was just like, how does that even work? But yeah. then, like, you know, as I got older, I realized that you no, know, it could work. Like it, it's it's is really nothing to it. I mean, it's you just got you just believe the world was created in a different way. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I, I've grown to have a distaste for religion you know, as mm. as as I've gotten older, um, because I I felt like it was perverted, and mm. I feel like it's been so perverted that we don't know what its original essence is anymore. Mm. Um, and so I was just I was just curious, like, what's your take on or just religion in general? Yeah. So. Um... I was born and raised Muslim, and like you um, mentioned, my mother was originally Christian, and when she met my father, she converted to Islam. But after my father passed away, like she converted back to uh, Christianity, right? It, it's where she found her comfort and where she found her peace. And that for me is the most important thing for me when it comes to religion. Mm. Um, it's that place where I could find my peace and find that sense of community. During COVID-19, especially in the beginning of that, man, it was rough, right? Mm. COVID-19 was rough, especially for many of us who was going on Facebook, it was like a, a daily obituary, right? That every single day you're scrolling on Facebook, it's like someone you knew uh, was passed, passed away or someone you knew was like in the hospital. And you're saying to yourself like, yo, this person was like 30 something years old or this person was just posting on Facebook and it became like a very, very scary situation for me, not knowing like if I'm gonna be here the next day because we was out there every single day distributing food to the homeless community and the senior citizens. So I was putting myself in danger like every single day. And at night, I would literally lay in bed staring at the ceiling and I had to make a make peace with myself like Zelly you know, if you go back out there again, there's a possibility that you can get COVID-19 and it's a possibility that you die. Are you okay with the fact that you may die? And that means that you're not gonna see your mother no more. You're not gonna get married. You're not gonna have kids. It's gonna be the end of you. Are you okay with that? And I had to make peace with myself every single night. And the only way I made peace with myself is by thinking to myself that I'm doing something good and doing something righteous and that God would be pleased with my actions on earth and that I will be um, loved by him um, in the afterlife. And that's the only thing that got me through the beginning of COVID-19 is the idea of God. Now, I'm not sure about everything that's in, you know, the Quran or everything that's in the Bible, but the idea of God, that's, that's what gives me peace. I've been wanting to ask you this question. So I'm, I, I, this, 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 is, this is coming from the left a little bit though. 
Wait, before before you go into your last question, for you to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was giving you the space. <laughs> he, was, he was looking at you too. <laughs> but, yeah, before you go into that, um, I want to talk about uh, the moment when you receive your award, uh, yeah. the Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, Civil Rights uh, Award. Uh, take us through those moments. You know, you've been you know doing so much for our community, and yeah. then to finally get recognized, what was that moment like? That was a really big moment for me because I was being recognized statewide by different teachers for the work that I was doing, not just in the classroom, but also, you know, in the community as well. And that really meant something to me because I'm a black teacher. I'm a black male teacher. And sometimes I'm the only, not only the only black male, but sometimes the only black teacher, period. And I know the the things that I experienced from, you know, principals and the things that I try to do for my kids day in and day out. So being able to be recognized for something like that meant something to me, but I don't let those type of things um, define me, you know? Awards are great, but I continue to do this work even without um, awards or, or recognition. Love that. Love that. It's always about uh, the mission over, you know, recognition or money, you know, you just mm -hmm. stay focused on that. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that people st that still have a, a, a hope for humanity, you know, I, I think we need that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I go through my phases where I just don't think certain things will ever happen. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. and I, I, I'm, I, I, and I call it, you know, being pragmatic, being realist, whatever, whatever you want to say, but yeah, um, yeah and, and it's tough, but to totally, you, I feel like you have a, a lot of hope for humanity and I, and I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, I, my, my left question is, are you a socialist? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a socialist. Okay. <laughs> okay, I figured, I figured. Okay, all right. Wait, wait, are, you, are you uh, like, Pure socialist or are you a democratic socialist? No, I'm a, I'm a pure socialist. Yeah. Can you elaborate yes, for the people who, who listen? I knew it. Yo, I was, oh, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so I think the best way to explain it is being able to first talk about what capitalism is, right? Mm -hmm. And that capitalism is that this idea that uh, this ownership of something called the means of production. That means the ownership of someone has ownership of the land. Someone has ownership of like the factories or production. They have ownership of pretty much all the wealth and everyone else is part of the working class. Like we work in mm -hmm. order to make our money. Everyone else, they work, you know, they, they get the money basically from us. Whereas for socialism is something different where it's, we are the owners of the land. We are collectively the owners of everything. And we decide what we want to do uh, with, with our labor. So I, I deeply believe in socialism and I deeply believe, and that's why I am the way I am when it comes to mutual aid and it comes to like things like food. Like I don't think that anyone in the world that can't produce as much food as it does should go hungry, right? That there is more abandoned homes in this country than there are homeless people, right? that there's food on the shelves that go to waste when people are in the streets going hungry. And those type of things shouldn't exist, but they do exist in capitalism because they're not gonna give away the food when they can sell it. They're not gonna let someone just stay in their house 
freely when they can maybe get rent from it. And they're willing to put profit above people. And I think that is immoral. And I don't think that's the right way to, to live in a society because in this society, it's going to impact us Black people most. And again, I like to think about capitalism as a triangle, right? It always will be a triangle. Only a few people will be on that top. Only a few people will be on that top. You're going to hope to be on that top, but it's, it's not going to be very likely, you know? You're not going to be CEO of Amazon or the next Amazon. It's going to be really unlikely. You're probably going to be on that bottom. You're probably going to max out on maybe maybe $100,000 a year when it's people who can make that in literally like a day that's on the top. All right, so I, I, I read some of Thomas L. And, you know, he, he has a history of saying that socialism has never worked and, mm-hmm. is, and, is, and it's just not feasible. So I guess my question to you is like, what, what would you say to that? Of course, like, I think that the reason why social, well, first of all, capitalism never worked, right? Because <laughs> if capitalism worked, like, there would be no people out in the streets right now, right? If capitalism was such a great society, there'll be no homeless people, right? Mm-hmm. If everyone was benefiting from capitalism, there'll be no homeless people outside and people wouldn't be going to bed hungry if capitalism worked. So the fact that saying that socialism doesn't work, well, capitalism doesn't work as well. But what we do know about socialism is that when we look about some places like Cuba, like they was able to vaccinate their people way faster, whether you believe it or not, the vaccination, it was able to vaccine their people way faster and bring down the numbers of COVID-19 faster than us, you know, more industrialized community. They are able to have their communities members uh, a higher literacy rate than um, our country. So many of these so-called, you know, socialist countries, whether the democratic socialist or pure socialist, they have a higher literacy rates. They have um, better, you know, mortality rates sometimes than us because Capitalism doesn't always benefit everybody. It only benefits the people on the top and hurts almost everybody else on the bottom. Whereas socialism, even though in the poorest countries, they at least try to lift up as many people as possible. And there's many faults in places like Cuba. You know, I'm a big critic of a lot of those places, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Now. Yeah, I want to go deep into. I don't. No, want I, to was I was waiting. I was waiting. I was about to go let it go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's talk. I, I don't want to go deep into socialism or democratic socialism, but, you know, I think one of the issues with it is um, like government failure. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, that's always been an issue, right. In terms of regulation and just, you know, the control of their uh, people. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess in the ideal world, like how do you prevent that from happening if if we see it happening time and time again in like these countries where there's like socialism yeah i think that one of the things that we always talk about um like um the people that i, I associate with myself we're, we're anti-authoritarian that means we are against like these big party structures those um you know those fascist governments or those authoritarian governments the places that have a party leader for like you know, 30 years, you know, like a Fidel Castro, who, who was like the leader of, you know, Cuba for like 20 years. That to us, you know, isn't a go. 
we believe in real democracy, right? That means everyone needs to be able to have a chance to lead. Everyone needs to have that input. And we don't have that even in the capitalist society like in America. And we wasn't seeing that in those socialist um, countries as well. We need to be able to practice real democracy where everybody has a real voice and everyone has access to power. When you don't have that, then you have things like on one hand, like a Cuba, right? Or another hand, like uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, so, so yeah, so yeah, I guess limit, limit of, you know, power, limit of terms, limit of, you know, who's in the form of leadership. And it's probably better to be, you know, a form of um, by committee versus one person. Cause we can yeah. see like, and I don't know, for like our healthcare, right? We have like one person running it, but a community, uh, in terms of diversity of thought, you know, some decisions would be better served, right? But when this one person, you know, calling the shots, um, there's a lot of issues with that versus like a community, um, much like like the Supreme Court of some sort, but it should be like that in a lot of the decision-making that we have. Um, but yeah, 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 I understand like what, Dem let's focus on democratic socialism just in terms of like redistribution of wealth, right? Because we know we mm -hmm. have, you know, during the pandemic, you know, the trillions of dollars that, you know, the richest people in the world um, gain versus, you know, the average American, the average person, you know, not gaining anything, right? Like we saw during the pandemic that, you know, credit was reduced. Um, but then, you know, in 2021, we saw that credit uh, was back to being used again. So, so it, it didn't help us a lot during this time. And we see during the pandemic, uh, you know, increased like suicide and like mental health issues and just a lot of things on there. And, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to both. Right. And, you know, but a lot of times people focus on the cons for each structure, right? Capitalism, you know, you focus on, you know, just the massive inequalities of wealth and socialism, you know, they'll point to, you know, Cuba or, you know, right, you know right. a worse part of it, like China, right? Getting to that point where, you know, you have like the social credit and all these other things like that. So I think it's more of like one, people have to educate themselves about all different, you know, types uh, of government and societies and then figuring out, um, how we can, you know, leverage it to the best of our abilities, but we all got to get on the same page first before, you know, we can get to those points because, you know, just being a black person and thinking outside of the box, what the media train us to be. And there's hesitancy towards that, right? A lot of things that you talked about now, you know, where it's like religion or it's like, you know, uh, democratic socialism, like people will push back towards, but it's more of like, we have to learn and educate it so we can have like this discourse and these conversations right. to be open about it and not necessarily be negative. So I love, you know, that, you know, it's an open forum and, and discussions that you have with people. And I think this goes back to what I was saying originally about how our history was taken from us. Yeah. And you really look and learn about our, our black leaders all of them studied socialism. All of them read about Marx. If you read about Dr. Martin Luther King, he read about it. If you look about Rosa Parks, she read about it. The Black Panthers obviously were really um, you know, influenced by socialism. A lot of our leaders in the past were really, really well-read, it was well-learned, and it was well-versed. They may not have been outright socialists, right, on some things, but some of them were really inspired by the whole idea of mutual aid, and solidarity and working with one another in uh, collective or uh, group economics. It was all for that because they realized that we was gonna get more by supporting each other than just by being individualistic. So I just wanna make a comment because 
and, and, I, and I think it all fundamentally breaks down to this. People are either motivated by self mm. or motivated by altruism, right? And I think that socialism will never work because people, I think there are more people that are motivated by self, culturally speaking. The way our culture is, you think of, I mean, I'm just gonna say millennials. Like I think most millennials are more motivated by self than the good of all. And, and I just think that if the only way we can change that is if we culturally change. And I mean, at the end of the day, I know, I know you said capitalism doesn't work, but I mean, and I, I'm not saying capitalism is perfect. I, I definitely agree that, you know, only a small percentage controls everything. And that is theoretically unfair if you, if you think about it. Um, but I believe in working for your merit, even though generational wealth, you know, it does happen. And I do believe in generational wealth, but somebody did work for it or somebody did something either, either illegally, there was something that they did to accumulate that money. So say that again, you said someone did something to accumulate that money. Yes. Yeah. The white person, that slave owner did nothing other than buying those slaves. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It, and was, even on it, it was the enslaved Africans. And we have to right. think about that. It's the enslaved Africans who are accumulating the wealth, not for them and their children, but it was accumulating the wealth for someone else. Right. That land that they was tilling, that wasn't their land. And it wasn't even originally the white person's land. Right. That was a native Americans land that they stole. Right. So that even that Native American cannot even benefit from that wealth that was created off that land. So we right. are like way, way generations, generations steps behind. And we can't ignore that fact by saying, you know, well, that that wealth got accumulated somehow. Now we have to talk about how that wealth got accumulated in the first place, because that's why us as a people are in a position that we are right now, because we don't have that wealth that many other people already have. Like right. I don't have no one gave me a house. I didn't right. inherit grandma's right. house. Right. I didn't inherit no one's house, but other people have. Yeah, I drove around Montclair and other places. You're like, how the hell, like they live in this house and they're, they're mm. a teacher. You know, like I'm a teacher, how come they live in this big house? Because they probably inherited from somebody. Right. And it's been passed off in generations and we don't have that. But that's yeah, only it, going I, to take breaking down an entire system i'm not saying that <laughs> like that like like that that's my point like okay so i i get what you're saying and i'm not yeah. yes you have to examine it but i'm also like i said i'll always bring it back to being real and i like and like even though like i'm i'm a i'm a i love fantasy but being real that would take breaking down an entire system that has lasted hundreds of years i'm not saying it ha it's happened before but you could see that those that it's happened to where they at? <laughs> so <laughs> this doesn't end well for nobody. <laughs> so my thing is, you, you like, all right. So this is a game. It this this is this is is engineered specifically to keep a certain group of people down. Yes, I get that. But how do we use it to our Time advantage? Manage. Is is, mm -hmm. is how I'm looking at it. Because I yeah. I just because human nature to me doesn't correspond to socialism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no no i i think yeah that, i think that's a fair point like how do we in a, a good question like how do we within the current system mm -hmm. like use it to our advantage right like free market how do we leverage that right like we as consumers right trillions of dollars we spend um 
uh, as black people, right? Over the last decade, if that went towards one black business, we're good, right? Like, so it's like, how do we like leverage, you know, capitalism Mm -hmm. to like grow, right? And we have examples of where it worked, right? Where we exchanged the dollar, you know, what, 26 times before it left, you know, Black Wall Street or, you know, um, you know, Silk City was another, like, uh, I think his name, McKinnick. McKinnick. Um, he, yeah, yeah, it was under uh, Richard Nixon, uh, but I can't remember his first name. But, you know, he had a goal of building, you know, a city for, for, for Black people, got the funding. It didn't work out exactly as he envisioned, but we have to, we have to figure out how to, to do something like that. Um, because land is, land is, they, they're not making any more land. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is right now. And sometimes they'll say the best investment on earth is earth. So, um, and that's back to your point, you know, immigrants used to come over to this country and the first thing that they received was land. We didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. So we have, we need to own land, right. So we can build on our own property and you know, start passing down that generation because housing property, housing uh, prices now, and any any city is not nobody can afford it. Even even white people barely can can afford it too. So it's like where we need to leverage that to build our own, um, so that we can have you know political clout and power. But you know, this is just you know just thoughts and ideas. <laughs> nah, I, I hear you. I hear you. It reminds me of that 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 meme that I saw before, it was like, we don't need more, we don't need no more rappers, y'all. We need truck drivers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. think that's, that's something that has to be looked at. Cause even though we may be in this moment right now um, where many people are entrepreneurial minded, what are we actually creating, right? We have a lot of people who want to be, you know, rappers, they want to, have their own, you know, clothing label. They want to have their own, you know, body butter. It's like, yo, how much body butter can I buy? You know what I mean? How <laughs> it's like, how many shirts can I buy? Like, if we think about Black Wall Street, and we're gonna make our own Black Wall Street, is every store gonna be like selling body butter? Is every store <laughs> gonna be selling like clothes? Is every store gonna be like a, a record store? Like, nah. It's like we need to be able to talk about yes, be an entrepreneur. But we have to look at something called economic leaks. Like, what are we not invested in? Or where are we not are creating in our own community that makes people go outside our community to get? When we go into some of our communities, like maybe Patterson or whatever the case may be, think about how many Black corner stores are there. Most of the corner stores are owned by who, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about the barbershops, how many barbershops are, you know, black owned nowadays? You know, for me in Patterson, most of them are, you know, the Dominican or Hispanic barbershops, right? Most of the corner stores are Hispanic bar, uh, corner stores. And why is that, right? Why is that? Why when we want to get into business, we're not thinking about opening up a Dunkin' Donuts or, uh, you know, a gas station or another or, franchise, you know? Or even beauty supply. I mean, a like, beauty, on the- right. Talk about it. That, I mean, that, that just shocks me in terms of like, <laughs> we, you know, we spend so much on hair products, right? Even, you know, yeah. we all got, you know, beards and stuff like that. Like we, where we go, we don't go to our own people. Like we go to someone else and it's just like our dollar leaves so quickly, right? I think it's six hours. Um, it leaves and goes to someone else's hand and we've been trained and okay with that. And then we second guess our own 
black owned mm-hmm. businesses are like, oh, it's not the quality that I'm used to, like, you know, mm-hmm. and we complain about it. So our mindset needs to change. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we started seeing a little bit of that during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like it like fizzled out, you know, the next year. And, and now, like, we don't hear anything about like, you know, supporting black businesses as much or like Black Lives Matter or any of it. Like we don't it like almost like dissipated like over a couple months. So we have we have one more question for you. This is this is a question that we ask every person we interview, um, and it's it's a subjective question, um, and uh, it's really you know how are you redefining your black experience? I am not letting society tell me what I should or should not be doing as a black man. Right, that me living my life is me redefining the black experience. Like I'm riding my bicycle and I don't care who says nothing about it. I'm going hiking, you know, I am experiencing life, negating all the things I heard as a kid, like, oh, only white people do that. Mm. It's like, nah, like I'm doing it. So that means a black person is doing it, you know? And I'm redefining what it means to be a, a black person. And I wanna be able to showcase that and talk to other people and let them know like, hey, you're not acting like a white person or you're not doing white people things. You're just doing like a fun thing and something that gives you joy. And that's the key thing for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a phenomenal point, right? Like the media, right? Or society has painted a picture of what black people are, right? And sometimes it can be hard to like step outside and be like, hey, I want to go snowboarding or hiking or, or you know, I want to eat, uh, you know, uh, uh, what they call that, the lobster sandwiches or something like that, I forgot <laughs> the name of it, that they have locks. You want to eat a locks with bagels and like that. So, and that's okay, right? Like we're not defined by this little circle. Like we, mm-hmm. we're, we're much bigger than that, right? Like we expand and grow the culture and because other people are doing what we do, why can't we do other things as well? Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I love that you're redefining it and like you're like setting the trend that like, hey, like every person, every black person is different. Right. Um, but one thing that we all share is that, you know, we want to see each other grow. We want to see each other build. We want to expand the culture and like redefine what black is. Right. And the, the more you're comfortable in your own skin, the more you take an action, the more that you're speaking out, the more that you're lifting others as you climb, the more that, you know, the black experience becomes real. And it's outside of like, what the media says is what we say. So mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, I love, you know, this conversation that we have with you, like, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your thoughts and insight, um, you know, continue doing the amazing work that you're doing. Um, it's definitely something that inspires us and uh, continue redefining the black experience. So yeah, lastly, where can wait, people wait, wait, find wait, you? Wait, wait, oh, wait. You got it? So yeah, I just want to say, we've been saying Silk City, but it's actually Soul City. Soul, Soul City. City, oh <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. yeah. And and the civil rights <laughs> activist is uh uh this had his name oh yeah Floyd McKissick McKissick oh I was said McKinnick yeah, yeah. I was like it's one of those things they need to do a documentary on that uh that's what they need to no do, there, there there's like a you know I don't want to say a, a bootleg one but there's a low budget one on on YouTube but it could be you know more yeah because it was in <laughs> yeah it was in our recent a recent like the, was that in it was that in the 80s right nick no nixon that was 70s right yeah, yeah 70s yeah. so it was like recent memory so we should mm. you know they need to do documenting it so someone can uh re re uh imagine that but netflix back to what i was saying and thanks for the correction uh 
uh, media uh, correspondent Brown there. No problem. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, where can they learn more about you? Yeah, they can follow me at uh, Instagram or Twitter, Zelly Imani. And you can follow me. I rarely follow back, though. <laughs> uh, say no more. All right. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for redefining the Black experience. Uh, listeners, follow him. Uh, if he doesn't follow you back, uh, he follow his wisdom. And, uh, and uh, uh, thank you. Uh, and this is another episode of Thirty Life Podcast. It's your boy Mookie and your favorite color in the world, brown. Thirty Life. We out. Uh, <laughs>